step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of The Christian Contrarian. I'm Gary Wayne, author of the Genesis 6 Conspiracy, and this is episode 36, Mount Hermon. And continuing in the theme that we've done in many shows of understanding end-time prophecy, but linking it and understanding the events of prehistory as being an important element to understand end-time prophecy, we're going to have a closer look at the mysterious and legendary Mount Hermon that is connected to giants both before and after the flood. And what's really important about that is that when Jesus provided his end time signs and after he gave all of the details that would happen in the last generation and he then goes forward and overlays two overarching signs which are very important. The first one will, is the fig tree generation, which is that last generation that's going to take place where all of those things and events are going to be fulfilled. He then immediately follows that up with the days of Noah sign, which is more than just the violence and the godlessness and not anticipating the flood apocalypse that happened before the flood. And I say that because Jesus is very, very specific on the words that he uses. And if you look back at Genesis 9, 28 to 29, it actually uses the term the days of Noah. And in terms of the days of Noah, 600 years before the flood and 350 years after the flood. And so... The days of Noah is talking about events that we need to understand both before and after the flood that he lived on. Just as giants show up both before and after the flood. And just as Mount Hermon is important both before and after the flood. And so we need to understand those events if we want to understand how the spurious forces are preparing for the end time and why it's important uh, that Mount Hermon, in terms of what they want to do and what they want to accomplish, resurfaces for the end time. So we need to understand this in a bit of detail so that we can better anticipate the events that are going to happen leading up to the last seven years and into the last seven years. And what's interesting about Mount Hermon, from what my research indicates, is that Mount Hermon is likely the location for the Council of the Gods in Psalms 82, the ruling council that rules over the earth as they did before the flood and will until the end time is completely resolved and they're replaced by Jesus as ruling from the throne for the millennium. And this council of, of gods that was both before and then again after the flood 
was probably replaced by gods who were sent to the abyss for creating the giants both before and then they likely again after the flood. And so they would have been replaced and there's still an ongoing council, which is why one of the reasons why I think Mount Hermon's going to come back to play in a significant role in terms of how the spurious forces roll out the preparation and bring on events, contrived events, mostly to bring about the end times. So when we look at Mount Hermon, that's the Hebrew word 2768 Hermon, uh, and it's used 13 times in the Old Testament. And it's used twice in Enoch. And in the Old Testament, it's used mostly in Deuteronomy, which we're going to have a look at some interesting verses today, and in the Psalms and in a few other uh, books of the Bible as well. And in Enoch, it's used in chapter 6.6, 6, which is where the angels who swear an oath to create these giants, and they call it an oath of mutual imprecations to carry it out to the end. And it's also used in 12.7, and I want to point this out because even though Enoch runs, I think, 99% consistent with the Bible, we don't have the original Hebrew, and it has a few corruptions in it. So you've got, for example, in 12.7, it's got the location of Dan being just south and west of Mount Hermon, which kind of is out of order in terms of the date to have Dan in there when this information would have taken place or it would have been written down and given to Moses um, before Dan would have been given that land after the time of the taking of the land of the covenant. So one of those corruptions we need, we need to be aware of. But what's interesting though is that in the Bible and in Enoch what is missing is that we get a clear statement that the giants were actually created in, on Mount Hermon. What we're told in Genesis 6 is that the sons of God created Nephilim or the giants, depending on which, on which translation you're using, with the daughters of men and again afterwards. But we're not told where and we're not told when afterwards, but we can sort of deduce from the information that it happens again to create more Nephilim probably around the world after the first incursion, uh, whenever that happens and wherever it happens, and then again after the flood. At least in terms of my understanding, it better fits the Bible to have a second incursion after the flood than the other ways, but I do respect there's more than one way that giants show up after the flood. The important thing is, is that they do. And so when we look at all of this sort of information and that they're going to affect the end time somehow, some way, you should expect that we'll start seeing an introduction of Mount Hermon in some sort of form or way that would have to do with the new Nephilim world order, or the new world order. I like to call it the, the Nephilim world order that they're going to bring on. And in that you have the Undoff mission of the United Nations. And of course the United Nations is one of the major organizations to bring about the Nephilim world order. 
It's their goal. And with the Undoff mission, it's located on Mount Hermon. And it has a large territory on Mount Hermon. In fact, it's 75 kilometers long. And it's 10 kilometers wide. And what's interesting about Mount Hermon is that it crosses the 33rd degree latitude, which again is a very, very important number when it comes to secret societies and the spirit forces and the Gnostic religions and their, their knowledge cult. And so all of this, I think, is happening with this large, and it's the largest manned mission of the UN that's located at Mount, Mer Mount Hermon. So whatever they're doing there, other than the superficial reason for trying to separate the Israelis from some of the Arabs so that there isn't another war that breaks out, they're likely doing more research, more digging, more preparation in terms of how they're going to bring about Mount Hermon back to a larger place in world government and worship as we get closer to the end time. And so if we understand that that's likely coming, let's take a little bit closer look at Mount Hermon in terms of that history. So interesting what's on one of the most important military locations in the Middle East on the Golan Heights is Gilgal Raphaim, Wheel of the Giants, Wheel of the Spirits or the Raphaim. And that is one of the more famous sites of the Raphaim and worship sites of that Middle East area that was around before the flood, you know, somewhere between 2700 and 3500 BC, and then likely again, very, very important in the early post-Diluvian world. So this is a, a worship site along with Mount Hermon that I think is likely going to be, become more famous and part of the universal religion that's going to be coming back in tandem with the Nephilim world order and the Ten Kings. And what's interesting about Mount Hermon is that the word Hermon derives from the Ugaritic text with some of the first Semitic words on record and HRM. And it's used in a I guess it's a ritual to one of the goddesses, uh, Ashtaroth, uh, that it's used. And so, and it's on KLU 1.13, and it's a fertility incantation. And one sort of takes from that, that the Nephilim or the Raphaim in this case, you know, they had difficulty in producing. And so they're probably trying and they're praying to Baal also of Mount Hermon and also of the Council of Gods to create more sons or more Raphaim because they're struggling in, in the reproduction thereof. And the, and the Raphaim, the Rapam and the Rapiu in 1.108 in, in KTU uh, of the terms of the tablets are also mentioned in 
Ugaritic texts. And these are the travelers that travel back into the underworld and into the physical world. So it's, it's important to understand where this fits in because King Og is the king of Bashan that is in the base in the surrounding area and including of Mount Hermon immediately after the flood, which is, I don't think, any coincidence. And he's a Raphaim that's mentioned in these Ugaritic texts. And there's Ugaritic texts. Some think are antediluvian. Some people think are post-diluvian. They probably, you know, that site was used uh, both before and after the flood. So you, you might be getting a mix in there. But Og is mentioned in Deuteronomy 3, and he's mentioned at the beginning of the taking and just before the taking of the covenant land. And he is managing 60 cities as probably the most powerful of the uh, Rephaim kings in the time of the Exodus. So five Pentapolis city-states, just as the, the Rephaim set up five city-states or Pentapolis as part of their defensive measures, all with cities of high walls. And of course, all 60 cities in Og's defensive systems had these massive high walls as it's described um, in uh, verse 5. And God tells Joshua in verse 21 is that he is going to deliver and destroy all of the Raphaim, the Anakim, and all the various names of the Raphaim in the covenant land once they cross the Jordan for Joshua and in help of Joshua, just as Og and Sihon and the Midianites were destroyed before crossing the flood. And of course, this is also the same chapter in verse 11 where we get told that Og's bed is made of iron because it won't take the weight of him. So we know we're talking about a giant and it's nine cubits long by four wide, which puts it somewhere between six to seven feet wide and 13 and a half to 16 feet uh, long, depending on how you measure the cubit 18 or 20 or 21 inches. And so... Og is part of this cult and culture that's trying to wipe out Israel from the face of the earth so that the Messiah can't be born into the tribe of Judah. And just as it was important throughout history, these Rephaim and these giants, Nephilim, are going to be important for the end time. And I make that reference because we get these travelers that are talked about with the Raphaim, the Raphaim or the Raphaim of the Ugaritic text. That kind of resurfaces in Ezekiel 39, 11 and 14 with the travelers or the passengers, which is the Hebrew word abar, which means to pass over, to, to pass across. And you get all of these mighty men that are involved with this end time war, which I think is the Joel 1 and 2 war and the Revelation 9 war after those impassioned angels come out of the abyss. So we get a nexus point of a nexus point of these Rephaim in the end times. So somehow the Nephilim and the Rephaim are going to impact the end time in a significant way. And they are, just as Og was the king of Bashan, they are part of that 
Mount Hermon belief system and that descending through the generations, the bloodlines of the Raphaim or the kings and the queens of the dynasties and the monarchs throughout time, even in, into uh, today. And also continuing in Deuteronomy 4, let's now bring in Deuteronomy 4, 47 and 48, where Mount Hermon is called Mount Sion. And Sion, 7865, S-I-Y-O-N, means lofty. And what's interesting about Mount Sion, as it's called Mount Hermon, and it's only used once in the Bible um, as Sion, is that lofty is the same understanding as H064 Shemaim, the heavenly ones, the angelic ones, or the council of the gods. So that's how I kind of start to make those connections into the council of gods because the Shemaim, the sons of God, and the ones who created the Nephilim before the flood and the Rephaim after the flood are the lofty ones, the ones from heaven. And that word Shemaim is used in relationship with the Nephilim in Genesis 6-4, where you get the mighty ones, the Gibberim, were the men of renown or the men of fame, the men of Shem and Shemaim, as it goes back both to Shem and Shemaim, in terms of the ones of all, not only of fame and reputation that they created, but the ones from heaven. And so we need to, we need to understand those, those connections. But what we don't want to do is conflate Mount Sion, S-I-O-N, with Zion, Z-I-O-N. And that is Hebrew word uh, Sion, T-S-I-Y-O-W-N, which means and is used as in Second Samuel and Joel and also coming up. Um, but it's used in the Bible for the mountain and city of Jerusalem. And note, also noting that the Gog War is going to be in that area and the, and the Armageddon War of Joel 3 is it's going to be part of that whole end time set of wars. But don't confuse Mount Sion as the spurious forces do with Mount Zion. That's a double entendre for them. And so when you understand Sion as a double entendre for the spurious forces, that's Mount Hermon, we need to also understand that this plays into the imagery and symbology of the secret societies as it's related to the end time and as how it's probably going to unfold as we go uh, into the end time. So Sion is a French word for the Latin word Zion and Hebrew word Zion. But where they take Zion from is from Mount Hermon, not from Jerusalem. And Zion is also a double entendre for grafted bloodlines. And it's old French for Sion as well, meaning nobility, the nobility branch and the heirs of nobility and the first offspring and the grafting in of those bloodlines for ennoblement. 
And so you also have, as we've talked about in the past, the Knights Templar, who are the modern incantation of secret societies and the sort of the parent to all of the secret societies of the modern world, having their headquarters at the Abbey Notre Dame de Dixion in Jerusalem. And so they're going to, again, conflate Jerusalem and, and Mount Hermon together in terms of how they present some of their end-time doctrines. And what they're doing with the Notre Dame de Sion is they're using that as one of their secret pure-blood orders, the Priory of Sion, because that's a temple of Sion, just as the Notre Dame of Sion is a temple in Jerusalem. And so again, it's a significant sort of play on the words of Sion. So they're going to set up Jerusalem as a holy site and they're going to set up Mount Hermon as a holy site in the end time. And we, we need to understand that somehow, some way they're going to do that. And that we need to understand that on Mount Hermon, you have the rock of the gods. You have the Pan Temple, and it's all at the foot of Hermes, and it's also known as the Gate of Hades. And this is the true defining imagery of the Priory of Sion at the 33rd degree mark as it overlays and transposes itself into imagery of the secret societies in the Priory of Sion. And the Priory of Sion, where they crowned the first king of Jerusalem that they want to crown Antichrist with that title at the abomination and will crown him in a temple in Jerusalem, but in the temple that has the wing of the, the temple where the sacrifices that Daniel 9.27 is going to talk about that occurs in the three and a half years is going to be in that temple. But understand it's their Priory of Sion, the Priory of Mount Hermon in Jerusalem where they're going to crown their Antichrist. And what's also interesting about uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39 with this end time war, I'm just going to enter this in quickly, is it's known as the slaughter of the fatlings of Bashan and the bulls of Bashan. So you get more connections back to Bashan with the war, with the Raphaim, and with this, this re-emerging sort of spurious polytheist doctrine that we should that we should expect to see as as the world and as the uh, end days unfold and mount hermon is also the place where the oath took place just as harem also uh, which means harem anathema, which is what some people call the oath sworn on Mount Hermon. It also derives from HRM out of the Ugaritic text, out of the Semitic word. And it means, uh, and it also is connected to the word Hermon. So where you have Hermon, now you have H-A-R-E-M and A-M as words that mean cursed and accursed and oath. All descend from the same root word coming out of out of the Ugaritic text, HRM. And this harem curse of Athena is to be carried out to the end, even upon the consequences of death. So these angels in the mountain where I think the Council of Gods was located swear this oath 
to destroy humankind both before the flood and then again after the flood. I think that oath is continued there and will be continued into the end time, which is why Mount Hermon has to become more important and visible for these uh, polytheist forces. And out of Mount Hermon and these secret societies and these double entendres and these allegories and everything that, that, that they use is that you have this idea that King James Stuart and the Stuart dynasties and all of the bloodlines of the Raphaim, they believe they have the divine right to rule as the representative of the gods on earth. They believe that they're little gods. They believe they're descended from the demigods. And it's this divine right to rule that they're going to, uh, that they have, are going to reassert for the end time and through their bloodlines and in bringing about the Antichrist figure that is a product of the Scion bloodlines. So when you look at the word royale, just to sort of underline what I'm talking about, that's roi, which is uh, the French word for king, and al, which is a transliteration of el for an angel or a god as it comes out of Hebrew. And those are the royal bloodlines of Mount Hermon, the royal bloodlines of the Raphaim as they've developed kingships and dynasties all around the world. And the the word royale is a word that you know goes back to words like re, uh, latin for reg which means king and that is transliterated as wa in french as we talked about and rex and so when you hear the word rex deus that means the kings of god and other words that come out of that etymology are words like reign and rule and realm and regent and viceroy and regulate and rich because all the nobility are the rich people. And of course, Reich that Hitler used. So understand that these terms are going to resurface and be re-implemented and in ways that I think will be impressive, but very, very deceptive in, in their past. And what's interesting about the word scion as we relate this back and how they're going to graft aspects of the Bible in support, just as they're going to use uh, Deuteronomy 4 for Mount Sion. Sion is also used in the New Testament instead of Zion even though it goes back to the Greek word that's rooted in the Hebrew Zion. They use the French word Sion, and that's in there for a reason, because they're going to use passages like Romans eleven twenty six, where the deliverer comes out of Sion as opposed to the deliverer out of Zion. So look for those types of conflations and misdirections as part of this whole 
preparation to bring about the scion bloodlines of Antichrist to be crowned as the king of Jerusalem in Jerusalem in the Priory of Sion, just as the first one was uh, crowned Baldwin II in 1118 of the Knights Templars. And also understand that unicorn is connected in this, just as you see unicorns show up for the Hebrew word ram or bull, wild bull, uh, for uh, unknown reasons other than to magnify King James's sort of pedigree as one of these royal bloodlines. And so unicorn is linked in Deuteronomy 3, 9 and Psalms 29, 6 with Mount Hermon called Sirion and also Shinir. And the Amorites called uh, Mount Hermon Shinir, who were, you know, Amorites were uh, people that Og partially reigned over and also understanding the Amorites in the promised land. So why is that important? Because you have that little horn in Daniel 7, 8 and 8, 9 that's talked about amongst the horn kingdoms, the ten horns, the, the ten kings of the end time empire. And out of it rises a little horn, a unicorn, antichrist. And they're going to make all of these connections in preparation for it. And horn, 7162, Karen, means horn or a musical instrument and a peak of a mountain. And specifically, the spurious forces say Mount Hermon. And so Antichrist, in the case that they're going to make, or at least in one of the wannabe Antichrists, because we don't know who Antichrist actually will be, but with the Western forces, they're going to make a case back to the bloodlines of Rephaim from Mount Sion, Mount Hermon, and he will be that unicorn, just as the Stuarts use the unicorn on their coat of arms as part of their genealogy and history. And so when we look at this little horn antichrist. He is going to have bloodlines that not only have the Raphaim bloodlines, but he's going to have to have Sion bloodlines to deceive the Jewish people who are going to be permitted in Daniel 9.27 to do the sacrifices on a wing of a temple. So look for them to have Sion and Davidic, King Saul, because King Saul gave was was a benjamite and the benjamites were, were given jerusalem by joshua at the time of the exodus so that's their inheritance right that they're going to claim at the abomination with the king of jerusalem title and so expect judaic bloodlines in and then of course what i think everybody understands is they're going to say jesus didn't die on the cross and he married mary magdalene and produced children all false, but they're going to have falsified records to graft or scion that bloodline in as well. So all I want to do is get people thinking about this as they look at all of the brainwashing that's going to be coming in the end time and funnel this into your thought process so that you have a better understanding. And if people are looking for more detail on this, I have a four part series on Mount Hermon that you can get a hold of me. Um, if you want more detail on this, I'll walk through all of this and more in detail. And just get a hold of me through my website, the Genesis6conspiracy.com. That's Genesis6, the number 6conspiracy.com. And thanking you for your time and your patience and hopefully raising a little bit of curiosity today. 
Uh, and until next time, may God bless you abundantly. Thank you. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.